Hello there, and happy post-Thanksgiving. It's Black Friday, actually. I'm Joey Cagle, and I hope you all had an excellent turkey day. And I'm Antonio Guerra. Now it's time to rock around the Christmas tree. Well, what didn't rock this week? Amazon Web Services had an outage. Baltimore County Schools had a ransomware attack, and GoDaddy employees were used in attacks on cryptocurrency services. It's up to Microsoft to put Windows on Apple M1 laptops. Intel is taking shots at AMD over laptop battery performance, and LG may be making rollable laptops. Well, a rollable laptop might rock. It might rock and roll, actually. The PS5 is outperforming the more powerful Xbox Series X. A classic video game sets a record in the amount it was sold for in at auction. A more targeted chemotherapy works in mice with cancer. And a fossil galaxy is discovered in the Milky Way. It's time for the tech news and commentary on Joey's Totally Tech. Welcome to the November 27th, 2020 Tech News and Commentary Edition, or something like that. Eat some turkey, and let's begin with this general tech news. Silky smooth as always. (laughs) Alright, so today's top story, it uh, definitely strikes home with me, because you know I'm a loyal Amazonian. Uh, Amazon Web Services outage takes a chunk of the internet with it. Amazon Web Service had an outage on Wednesday, which resulted in a number of services that rely on it being out as well. Adobe reported their Adobe Spark app was down, Roku had issues, Shipt was also out as a result, and deliverers for Shipt could not access their barcodes for cashiers to scan. Yeah, that actually affected me too. Um, I... As you know, I work for a major retail company uh-huh. um, where Ship does a lot of their shopping. Oh, really? And uh, yes. Yeah, I had a Ship uh, driver come through uh, trying to do a Ship order. Their barcode wouldn't work, you yeah. know? And there was nothing that I could do on the register about it. I think that's the thing, too. I think, you know, as we have all these new conveniences with the internet. You know, I guess when that goes down, you don't have access to that. Right. I think that's a problem with having like an all digital, I guess, society where you do everything online. Yeah. Then it goes down. I mean, you you still got to be able to get off your couch and go down the street to the store, right? Right. But yeah, those delivery services definitely rely on the internet or at least certain services on the internet. Oh, yeah. 100%. You know, without the internet, you can't do your job. And there's a lot of companies now relying on Amazon Web Services. Okay. Yeah, what I find funny is uh, Target owns Shipped, uh-huh. yet Amazon is kind of a competitor to Target in a lot of ways. As long as someone's making money, that's all they care about. <laughs> yeah. I know Target doesn't even sell Amazon gift cards anymore. Yeah, I don't think uh, uh, Walmart or anything does either. I think yeah. a lot of like the major big box brick and mortar places, because Amazon's putting them all out of business, so they're not yeah. going to... Yeah, so... Yeah. So, Baltimore County schools closed Wednesday due to a ransomware attack. On Wednesday, Baltimore County Public Schools in Maryland closed because the system 
was hit with a ransomware cyber attack, according to officials. Dr. Darrell Williams, superintendent for the Baltimore County Public School System, said, quote, This morning we decided to close all BCPS schools and offices in order to assess and limit the impact of the attack, end quote. The entire network system was brought down after the unknown actor took over and demanded ransom. Baltimore County police are in preliminary steps of an investigation. The FBI also released a statement later on Wednesday, quote, The FBI takes all cybercrime seriously and is aware of the cyber attack at Baltimore County schools today. Per our usual policy, the FBI does not confirm or deny the existence of investigations. However, when the FBI learns about intrusions, it's customary that we offer our assistance in these matters, especially when it has such a direct impact on our community." End quote. Officials say the attack began Tuesday night. A parent, Amy Adams, noticed something a bit off during a virtual school board meeting. Quote, I was tuned into the board meeting last night, and about 10.30 p.m., I noticed the screen just went blue, end quote, said Adams. The school system urged students who were learning virtually to only use city schools-issued laptops or devices. Anyone without such devices were granted an excused absence. Now, imagine if you were a kid and you didn't have one of their uh, laptop devices. Wouldn't you be thrilled to have an excused absence for the day and just be able to stay home because your school got a cyber ransomware attack? It'd be pretty wild. It's an even for Thanksgiving, too. So, I mean, you probably should have the day off anyway, I think, just in case you want to travel. But I yeah. guess it's neither here nor there. Yeah, I, I know in Wake County, gosh, we had the Wednesday off before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think they had it off in Mecklenburg, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but I guess in Baltimore, they don't. Oh, well. Well, they a lot of them did that day. <laughs> isn't Amy Adams, isn't that uh, John Krasinski's wife? Maybe. I don't know if it's the same Amy Adams, though. <laughs> uh, do, you think, do you think John Krasinski's wife lives in Baltimore? I'm not sure. Uh, but not. anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, the school had the cyber or the uh, ransomware attack. That's uh, pretty crazy. Do you think it was an angry student or a parent? Who knows? I mean, it's probably... A student or a parent. Yeah. I mean, I guess just someone without any kids could have yeah. just done it. Just, I know I do ransom against Baltimore County schools if they like you find a better target. But yeah, though, I mean, I wonder if it was just some uh, person in another country just getting the wrong place. That's kind of happened before. Maybe, maybe he, yeah. maybe he wanted Baltimore Public, you know, works or something. Yeah. Who knows? Oh well. All right, so GoDaddy employees are being used in attacks on multiple cryptocurrency services. Email web traffic destined for several cryptocurrency trading platforms was redirected by fraudsters this past week. This was facilitated by scams targeting employees at the world's largest domain name registry, GoDaddy, according to Krebs on Security. This is the latest in incidents at GoDaddy, which relied on tricking employees into transferring ownership or control over targeted domains to fraudsters. Back in March, employees were targeted by a voice phishing scam, which allowed attackers to assume control over, at a minimum, a half dozen domain names, including escrow.com. And in May, 
the company disclosed 28,000 of its customers' web hosting accounts were compromised after a security incident in October of 2019, which wasn't discovered until April of 2020. Yeah. Now, I use GoDaddy for one of my domain names okay. uh, right now. And, you know, that's a huge concern. I mean, this is the largest domain name registrar. Um, oh, it and, is? Okay. And they offer hosting as well. It makes sense. It's, it's the only one that I'm aware of. So, I mean, I'm sure there's thousands of others. Just, you know, everyone knows GoDaddy from their uh, spicy commercials from the early aughts. Yeah, I've got a lot of other uh, domain names hosted, or not hosted, but on uh, Namecheat.com. Okay. Um, and there's others as well. A lot of uh, hosts themselves will offer uh, domain name registrations too. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like kind of crazy. So many people rely on them for their domain name. Uh, some people rely on GoDaddy for hosting as well. And uh, now it's like... I mean, anyone can get uh, one of these uh, phishing scams or hacks or whatever. Don't get me wrong. Even like some of the most uh, security-minded people could possibly be tricked on a bad day. Yeah. Actually, uh, my roommate, she, uh, I don't know if she was almost a victim of one, but she was involved in one. I guess uh, someone had contacted her on Facebook saying that she was very beautiful and he likes uh, sending money to beautiful women. So mm-hmm. as soon as she told me about, she told me about this like last week, and then as soon as she told me, that, I was like, "Well, this sounds fishy, but whatever." So uh, just the other day, she's like, "Hey, this guy's really sending me three thousand dollars. Look, he's sending me on Cash App. He sent me like a screenshot." I'm like, all right, well, when it goes into your account, then I'll believe it. <laughs> so, you know, surprise, surprise, there was an email that she got from Cash App, quote unquote, saying that she had to deposit a hundred dollars into her Cash App and send it to somewhere else in order for the three thousand dollar Cash App to clear for her. Oh, God. So I said, okay, obviously don't do that because it's a scam. I yeah. said, hey, I'll prove it to you. So, so let me see the email. In the email, it says Cash App. In the email thing, it has a little Cash App dollar sign symbol. You know, I tap on it, and it's Cash App, a bunch of random numbers at Gmail. I said, okay, so this is obviously a scam. Well, obviously, because I've sent friends thousands of dollars in Cash App before. I never had mm-hmm. to pay a down payment or a deposit. And also, Cash App, I'm sure, doesn't use Gmail as their email client. Oh, no, so, they don't. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, if you're ever not sure about a fishy email, make sure you check. Don't just look at the little uh, you know, name, uh, nickname underneath the email. Actually, right. look at the long email address and make sure it's actually from the domain from the company that you think you're doing business with. Yes, yeah. So, Intel is taking shots at AMD over laptop battery performance. Internal performance benchmarks at Intel suggest laptops using 11th generation Tiger Lake mobile CPUs deliver superior battery performance than those running AMD's Ryzen 4000 series CPUs. They tested five Intel and five AMD systems with out-of-the-box settings. The default battery slider was set to better performance. The biggest changes were that antivirus software was removed and screen brightness was set to 200 nits on every device. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's true or maybe Intel is just uh, trying to gain some ground back on AMD and could be putting false information out there. I don't know. It's possible, or maybe yeah. maybe it's like an isolated incident, or maybe it's a small amount. I mean, you can't ever tell with yeah, corporations, I mean, right? We're just testing like five different laptops 
from uh, with uh, Intel processors and five different laptops with AMD processors. When we have how many laptops made per year? Yeah, I mean, I mean millions, I'm sure. So yeah, I know. I always found it funny. Like people will tell me uh, they. Uh, have a laptop that they want me to work on whatever and i'll ask them the model they're like uh, i don't know it's a 2017 hp laptop i'm like okay uh that doesn't tell me anything i mean i don't even know my model i know mine's a i think mine's like a 2015 yeah. i think I'm, i got mine like a 2016 well you can find it probably on the bottom of your laptop anyway <laughs> oh yeah i mean off the top of my head yeah but yeah yeah so i guess so, people aren't aren't as into the laptops as like say their cars yeah but some people don't even bother to look at their laptop even when they have their laptop with them yeah <laughs> so you know all right so uh robo laptops lg may be doing just that with Roble TVs having been showcased and Roble phones being developed, LG has filed a patent for Roble laptop. Both the screen and keyboard are Roble. The patent, shared by Gadget's Data on Twitter, summed this up as display, keyboard, and webcam on a single stick. It shows you could roll out the display to be 13.3 inches, but then roll it out further to have a 17-inch display. Not much more detail was given, but it's mostly focused on how the screen rolls out and doesn't flop over without a stand. The screen will protrude from an arc-shaped slot in the base, helping it to stand up rigidly and provide an immersive curve. Now, different from the phone we talked about last week, this is something that you could roll up more like a scroll, at least from the patterns I've seen. So, you know, it's really interesting. I guess, but why? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess to save space. I mean, instead of having a flat rectangle, you got a cylinder. How's that say space? <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you don't have, like, a whole uh, backpack to put it in like I do, or uh, maybe, like, a smaller bag, but you have enough room for that stick to go in. Yeah, maybe. You know. Then, then it would work, you know? Oh, it's like a stick? Yeah, I guess it did say stick, so yeah. I guess it rolls up pretty small. Mm -hmm. Something yeah. into, like, the size of, like, like a Pringles can, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe smaller than a Pringles can. I'm not totally sure. I'd have to actually see it. Yeah, I can see it, too. It's, it's yeah. kind of hard to conceptualize just without seeing it. Right, yeah. Um, it's up to Microsoft, apparently, to have Windows on the M1-based Macintoshes. Apple's transition to Apple Silicon has been going very well for their first M1 Macs. But will it have Windows support? Apple's Vice President of Software Engineering, Craig Federici, said in an interview that an ARM version of Windows could very well run natively on Apple Silicon Macs, but it's up to Microsoft. Microsoft's current licensing will not allow its ARM version of Windows 10 to be used by Apple since it's not pre-installed. Apps like Crossover, however, have been bringing support for Windows apps on Apple Silicon. Parallels also announced that they have a version of its Windows virtualization software in the works with M1 compatibility. In the Ars Technica interview, Craig Federici said, quote, It's really up to Microsoft. We have the core technologies for them to do that, to run their ARM version of Windows, 
which in turn, of course, supports x86 user mode applications. But that's a decision Microsoft has to make to bring to license that technology for users to run on these Macs. But the Macs are certainly very capable of it, end quote. Federighi also mentioned Windows and the cloud as a solution to run Windows apps on Macs. So it looks like they're running into some compatibility issues. Uh, not really compatibility issues, just uh, licensing issues with Microsoft, really. Um, their uh, license does not allow the users to run it on where it's not pre-installed on an ARM device. Oh, okay, so I missed that. So it's, okay, okay. Right. Yeah, it's different on an Intel device. Windows, uh, you can purchase to install on any uh, x86 PC. But with ARM devices, it has to be pre-installed. Gotcha. Okay. Of course, I think they had to make an exception for the Raspberry Pi because that's ARM-based too. Oh, really? And I know they do have a version of Windows you can run on uh, Raspberry Pis now. Interesting. Yeah, I guess so. it's such a small segment. Maybe you don't really worry about the licensing for that. Right, but. yeah. Comcast is giving more internet customers 1.2 terabyte data caps. Comcast will be expanding its internet data cap to customers in states which were previously excluded. They've already implemented these caps across most states they operate in, but a dozen states were still being given unlimited access to data without extra charges. That all changes in January. Back in 2016, Comcast expanded the data caps to 27 out of the 39 states they operate in. This most likely excluded the Northeast region, most likely in order to compete with Verizon's data cap-free Fios offering. Comcast Xfinity added an update last week. The cap will be coming to the Northeast as well as West Virginia, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and parts of other states, such as Ohio and Virginia, where they were previously unenforced. Subscribers who go over the limit, however, won't actually be billed extra charges until March. They'll... Well, this will give them a chance to become familiar with this change. Comcast customers will also get a single courtesy month every year where you just can accidentally go over the limit without paying that initial time. Comcast told Ars Technica, this cap will only impact, quote, a very small number, unquote, of its subscriber base and that about 95% of residents don't reach the limit. Customers who exceed this limit through things like streaming and game downloading will have the option to sign up for unlimited data for an extra $30 a month. Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of sucks that they're putting these data caps in place, in my opinion. Yeah. But I do think that it's good that there is the option to go to an unlimited plan. Yeah, I mean, someone like me, I probably wouldn't go over. All I do is, like, I do some streaming for, like, I don't have cable or anything. So all Mm -hmm. my television watching is streaming. Right. And then um, I don't really do a lot of online gaming. I don't download a ton of games. Oh, if so. you do a lot of uh, television watching, yeah. you, that could possibly put you over. Uh, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I'm saying yeah. they're, they're saying that 95% of their customers, so I feel like yeah. I'm definitely like in the minority there. Then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I really don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, they're claiming that it's a very small minority, but... Oh, yeah, who knows for sure, I mean, but... yeah, streaming... Uh, streaming video really will rack up the data usage for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. At 1.2 terabytes, it's still quite a bit. But I mean, I could see it being done in a month. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the point. I guess yeah, they even just from streaming, if you've 
got it on quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you're always streaming nonstop, then yeah, but, you know, I'm always yeah. watching. T- I mean, I got to sleep, Joe. I got Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how much you watch during the day or anything. I got you. So, Echo Frames smart glasses are now available. Echo Frames recently moved from invite only to general availability. The Echo Frames were part of a program called Day One Editions, which introduces products to a select group of users to generate feedback and continue development. The glasses were first introduced September 2019 at Amazon's annual devices event in Seattle. The main feature of the glasses is Alexa connectivity via smartphone and Bluetooth right at the temples. The frames deliver open ear audio that is directed towards the ears, and the user can make a phone call, listen to music, hear notifications, and more without earbuds or earphones. Nothing is projected onto the lenses of the glasses, however. The new glasses are available for $249.99 and ship on December 10th. They come with non-corrective lenses and are compatible with most prescription lenses as well. Another Day One Editions product, however, will not be moving past the trial phase. Productions and sales will end on the Echo Loop, a 129 smart ring with a speaker and microphone. So smart ring, I think. Uh, you don't be getting. I think we finally jumped the shark as far as wearable tech. Yeah. <laughs> like okay, I was okay with the watch, the glasses. Okay, I can kind of see that, but a ring really. <laughs> um, if it's a ring, I want it to be like uh, one of the planeteers. You know, we could summon oh, the power planet. Which one would you want? Let me guess, heart. You want heart animal- or fire? You want to be animals to do your bidding, man? <laughs> You'd be like Aquaman, but for all the animals. Yeah. Or, um, let's see, Green Lantern also had a ring, right? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. You, could, you can make, like, mental constructs of whatever you yeah. want. I guess we get bored after a while, because it's just, mm-hmm. like, beautiful woman, and I'm done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I don't see the kind of the point of these. I mean, if they don't project anything onto the, I mean, I guess... You can hear things through your temples. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of cool, but yeah. what's the point? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing with the smart glasses. I'm like, I want some sort of like augmented reality type thing going on, and it provides audio. That's cool, but... And the only um, thing I can think is if you, if you don't want to have like... Like at my job, I work at Amazon, and technically we're not supposed to use headphones on the production floor, but I do, and a lot mm-hmm. of people, other people do. But I guess if you were in a situation where you couldn't be seen having headphones on, you can just wear these glasses, and then there you go. You can right. listen whatever you want, and no one will know anything. Yeah. So, what a time to be alive, man. Isn't it great living in the future? Yeah, your own company made a way for you to listen to music with your ears only and not use headphones. Only in America. Yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, the Solomon Islands are manning Facebook. The government of the Solomon Islands has placed a temporary ban on the popular social network in a move to tackle cyberbullying and online defamation. The ban is not yet in effect, but it has been met with an angry response online after the announcement. Communication officials will be meeting with internet and telecommunication providers in Solomon Islands to discuss how to block the social network. 
Prime Minister Manasa Sagabare told the parliament that it was necessary to preserve national unity. Quote, cyberbullying on Facebook is widespread. People have been defamed by users who use fake names and people's reputations that have been built up over the years are destroyed in a matter of minutes. End quote, said Sagabare. We have a duty to cultivate national unity and the happy coexistence of our people. Facebook is undermining efforts to unite this country. The plan ban mainly targets young people, but is aimed at protecting them from vile abusive language and not an attempt to silence them, according to Sagavere. The ban is to stay in place until laws can be passed, which would govern user behavior on Facebook. Papua New Guinea, Fiji, and Samoa have also considered bans. I mean, Facebook has its issues, don't get me wrong, and cyberbullying is a big issue on Facebook. Yeah. I don't think a government ban is the right response to this. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess, but at the same time, too, it's like, if it's a real problem in your little island country, then what are you supposed to do, you know? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think especially adults need to learn how to act like adults. Uh, a lot of the cyberbullying is being done by kids, of course. Yeah. Well, adults need to monitor their kids' internet activities. Well, you know, unfortunately, we live in an age where that just isn't possible. I mean, that's not that's not possible. Well, but I mean, that's possible. I, I, I shouldn't have said impossible, but I mean, with as much access, I mean, you can get the internet at, at school, you can get the internet on your phone, yeah, computer, you got iPads. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you're well, right. the school's able to monitor internet activity. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, at the, the same government time, can monitor your internet activity. <laughs> at the same time, too. I mean, face if they're, they're just banning Facebook because it's the most popular platform. I'm sure if they ban that, then another platform that's not banned is going to take its place, and then they're going to be in the same problem. Oh, so. yeah. Definitely. So you're probably right. That's not really going to... It's going to be a Band-Aid more than a solution. Yeah. Of course, the... Uh, it's only a temporary ban anyway until they have uh, rules to govern uh, interaction. How, how are you going to govern online interaction? We'll figure it out, I maybe. Mean, that, that, I mean... Maybe it's just more like, you know, if you have proof that someone is doing something, then now there's stricter laws against that. Yeah. But then again, you could be like, I mean, I guess they can just check your net history. I don't know. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know how they plan to really do this very well. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, Charlie D'Amelio, uh, she hit 100 million likes, or not likes, but subscribers, or followers, rather, on TikTok. She's the first TikTok creator to hit this many followers. Only two other creators have cracked 50 million so far. On TikTok, this makes her over twice as big as Will Smith, three times as big as Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and four times as big as Selena Gomez. There were other names mentioned in the article too, but, you know, they'll just go on and on. Uh, she also hit 100 million subscribers in record time, as on YouTube, it took 14 years before anyone hit 100 million subscribers. D'Amelio started posting to TikTok in May of 2019. The app has only been around since 2018. 
But the Emilio and her family are already trying to move beyond TikTok as of late, as she's launched a podcast, further expanded into YouTube, and also has a book deal. So yeah, this uh, looks like this social media thing is pretty serious, right? Oh uh, yeah, well TikTok specifically, and TikTok, I don't know what the... Uh, deal is with the band that was supposed to happen with it <laughs> uh, I, th- I guess uh, all of Trump's uh, resources going towards trying to get reelected and then yeah. trying to like get the Supreme Court to recount all the votes or whatever Yeah. so at this point TikTok doesn't appear that it's going to be banned and we're going to head into the Biden administration in January and nothing's going to happen to TikTok well, I guess that's good news for uh, this Charlie D'Amelio person. Yeah, I only read a little bit about her. I didn't even get to what kind of content she really does, but I think she has a sister who's a musician or something. I'd uh, probably so. do funny dances and crap, you know? Yeah. That's what the kids are into. They just yeah, want to see sure. people dance. Yeah, I don't even use TikTok, by the way, so... Uh, neither do I. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, Snapchat launches a TikTok-like feed called Spotlight. Snapchat launched a dedicated place within the app where users can watch short, entertaining videos in a vertically scrollable format in a TikTok-like feed. Spotlight will showcase the community's creative efforts, like videos now backed by music and other snaps users might find interesting. The company says the algorithms may work to surface the most engaging snaps to display to users on a personalized basis. Okay, so... Um, so just like everyone else, Snapchat yeah. is trying to bite off a of TikTok. Yeah, so. everyone's copied TikTok right now. Uh, this is going to get old quickly for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it hasn't gotten old for you yet? <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's like, it's probably, get, it's probably gotten old, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't even use TikTok, guys. <laughs> it's just weird. Like, social media, it's really only been like really popular for i would say the last 15 years or so mm-hmm. but then you got so many people making so much money off of it it's ridiculous right yeah so uh spacex starlink took questions on reddit ama engineers answered questions in a reddit ama that's ask me anything if you don't know now and you know now you know yes This happened last Saturday. Uh, They mentioned there will be no data caps at this time. They will also have an expanded beta in January, giving more users an opportunity to participate. This was in line with a recent tweet from Elon Musk saying, quote, lower altitude states need more satellites in position. So probably January, end quote, when he was asked when a beta would come f- for Florida. And that was lower latitude, not altitude. Oh, did I say... You said altitude. It's supposed to be lower latitude. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Unless it was supposed to be altitude and you typed it up wrong, but... Ah, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, they also said they were looking for more engineers. So if you're looking for a job in this type of engineering... It may be good to apply with SpaceX Starlink. Right now, you won't be able to use the service anywhere else other than the address you signed up with. Uh, They were also asked if the satellite dish would work in heavy wind and rain. 
uh, but the team said it's not recommended to use in such conditions. But a Canada user asked if it would work in extreme low temperatures, and the team responded that it's certified to operate from 30 below zero to 40 above zero on the Celsius scale. That's 22 degrees to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. They also mentioned Starlink dishes have self-heating capabilities, and they plan to deploy software updates which will upgrade snow melting capabilities. So I'm not going to lie, this uh, Starlink doesn't seem all that great so far. I mean, I know they're just starting out, but it's like it costs 400 bucks to even sign up. You can only use it at your house. It doesn't work if it's too hot. It doesn't work, I mean, of course, 104 degrees, that's pretty hot. But, yeah. you know, in certain parts like the like the southwest it gets pretty hot mm-hmm. out there so well, i don't know i guess well, well it's like uh recommendations like it'd probably survive a few days of that kind of heat but like constant heat like that yeah that's true i'm sure at 105 yeah. degrees it's not gonna just explode so. yeah like here in north carolina it would most likely be fine yeah it really gets above 100 degrees here so yeah um so huh like i said we'll have to wait and see yeah all right, so uh, Walmart is buying Joyrun assets for peer-to-peer product delivery. The Bay Area startup is becoming part of Walmart. Walmart acquired select assets, including the talent, technology platform, and IP from the company in order to incorporate its peer-to-peer food and drink delivery service into its own last-mile logistics. Joyrun's app lets people find out who nearby is heading out to a restaurant they like and tack on an order of their own. So I didn't know about this. This is a pretty interesting little idea. Yeah. I had heard of Joyrun, I think, a little bit before, but I've never used it myself. I mean, it's cool. It's just, I guess, like, say I'm going to Chipotle. I just mm-hmm. put on this app, I'm going to Chipotle. Is someone around me is like, hey, you know, pick me up a steak burrito. Mm-hmm. And I guess you get paid for that somehow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd have to look more into it, but yeah, it's really cool. Um yeah, it's I guess like DoorDash, but a little different. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still like a peer-to-peer food delivery service, right. but at the same time, too, I think it's just like you know, you don't have someone out on a route; you just have someone like, okay, I'm going here. Does anyone else want anything? So mm-hmm. It's more like a like a snack run almost. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So there's an attack that could uh, convert smart vacuums to microphones. It's called lidar phone. This week, a team of academics detailed novel research which converted a smart vacuum cleaner into a microphone which can record nearby conversations. LiDAR phone is the technique that was used and works by taking the vacuum's built-in LiDAR navigational component and converting it into a laser microphone. Laser microphones were a surveillance tool used in the Cold War to record conversations from afar. Intelligence agents could point lasers at far away windows and monitor how glass vibrated and decipher what was being said in a room. But certain conditions need to be met. An attacker would need to use malware or a tainted update process in order to modify the vacuum's firmware. Attackers would also need to stop the vacuum LiDAR from rotating and have it focus on one nearby object at a time. Also, smart vacuum LiDAR components aren't near as accurate as surveillance-grade laser microphones. 
but researchers said they were successful in recording and obtaining audio from the test Xiaomi robot's LiDAR navigational component. There's really no need to panic. This is just academic research and it revolves around many prerequisites most attackers won't bother to meet, as there are far easier ways of spying on people. So your Roomba could be spying on you now, Joey. Yeah, but probably not. <laughs> probably not. I mean, yeah, I guess it's one of those things. It's like, I guess it, someone could do it, but yeah, there's way more effective ways you could hack someone's yeah. computer with, that has better microphones on it and stuff. Yeah. And I don't think the Roomba can uh, navigate very successfully if it's turned into a laser microphone because the it wouldn't rotate the right way. Maybe it's meant to be the hack is meant to be running while it's stationary, like in the little cradle. Yeah, so I be don't sitting know. over in the corner charging, and then it's pointing, and yeah, yeah it's hearing what's on your Christmas list. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of robots, paid robo taxi rides in California are getting the green light. Though California has been a testing ground for autonomous vehicle testing, the state hasn't allowed companies to use the vehicles to make money from a commercial ride hailing service. This changed last week when the California Public Utilities Commission approved two new programs allowing autonomous vehicle operators to launch their own robo-taxis in the state. The CPUC has been working on the new rules for several years now. The new programs, the Derived Autonomous Vehicle Deployment Program and the Driverless Autonomous Vehicle Deployment Program, will allow participants to offer passenger service, shared rides, and accept money for the rides. Companies interested in participating will need to obtain either a charter party carrier class p permit or a class a charter party certificate in the driver av passenger service pilot program issued by the cpus as well as an av testing permit from the state's dmv the process takes several months yeah i know that was a lot of uh letters there and a lot of words that's okay <laughs> but yeah i mean that's really interesting for any uh entrepreneurs that could uh get uh driverless vehicle yeah i actually just saw a cool idea i think like once like the whole like driverless vehicle thing really takes off and you know everyone's personal vehicles can drive without them having to be you know aware of what's going on like you could send your car to go out and do uber for you while you're at work you know oh yeah like you totally. drive to work be like okay uber go make me some money and then your car will <laughs> drive around for a few hours and then they'll be there waiting for you when you get off and then wow I just, yeah that's pretty crazy though um i mean i don't know how uber would feel about that i know uber, well, not uber necessarily but like i'm sure there'll be some right. company that's like hey want your car to make you money while yeah. you're at work well i know uber has already uh tested out driverless cars previously which would put a lot of Uber drivers out of business. Uh, I'm sure they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably don't. Elon Musk is now the world's second richest person. Musk has surpassed Bill Gates to become the second richest person in the world, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. His net worth is now around $128 billion. The number one spot is still held by Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, at $182 billion. Jeffy B, baby, that's why we're number one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Elon Musk, he's the uh, second richest man in the world, man. Yep. 
yeah, it's crazy. Uh, oh gosh, uh, he was at PayPal a long time ago, and they became successful, and now he's doing other things: SpaceX, Tesla. Um, yeah, he went from a the, PayPal employee with a thinning hairline yeah. to the second richest man in the yeah. world with a full head of hair. Boring company and Hyperloop. Oh, and the, uh, the was it the Not a Flamethrower Company or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. You ever heard about that? I don't know about that one. Elon Musk manufactures a flamethrower, oh. but it's called the Not a Flamethrower. Oh, interesting. I guess this is kind of a thing. <laughs> it's a flamethrower that's not a flamethrower. Yeah, I guess okay. they call it Not a Flamethrower. <laughs> I guess technically it's some sort of like modified blowtorch or something okay but whatever <laughs> all righty then not recommend for home defense and we'll be back after this message you like the music and sound effects we're using on the Joey's Totally Tech podcast? Well, we get the licensing for this music through Epidemic Sound. If you're a content creator creating video on YouTube or other social media platforms or a fellow podcaster, visit bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic. That's bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic. And you can sign up for a subscription for as little as $15 per month. They have a wide variety of genres of music, as well as sound effects you can incorporate into your content. You don't have to pay royalties, you just pay the monthly subscription fee. Or you can also buy lifetime licenses to particular tunes and effects too. So if you want to use some fresh music and help support this podcast too, check out bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic and sign up for Epidemic Sound today. Welcome back to the Tech News and Commentary. Don't forget you can listen to this as well as the main episodes ad-free, as well as bonus content by unlocking the exclusives at joeystotallytech.com slash exclusive. We also try our best to post episodes early there, and when we do interviews, we have extended interviews there for as little as $1.50 per week, $5 per month, or $50 per year, you can access that. You're also listed as an executive producer in the credits of our main episodes on Mondays. So go to joeystotallytech.com slash exclusive, and we'll definitely have some brand new bonus content too. We need to work on a PC Tech 101 episode for that, uh, don't we, Antonio? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, yes, yes, we do. Why don't we go over the basic components of a PC for one of those? Uh, we absolutely will. Oh, and I'm planning on starting an almost daily audio blog there, too, just for our exclusive members. So check out joeystollytech.com slash exclusive and sign up today. Well, look at the time. It's time for the gaming news. So the PS5 is outperforming the Xbox Series X. The Xbox Series X may be the world's most powerful console, but in early game tests, the PS5 has been outperforming it. Digital Foundry has been analyzing new games across both the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. The Xbox Series X is capable of 12 teraflops of GPU performance as opposed to the 10.28 teraflops on the PS5. The Xbox Series X is in the lead slightly in 4K and ray tracing performance modes on uh, Devil May Cry 5, but the high frame rate mode runs noticeably better on the PlayStation 5 with more than a 40 frame per second gap in some places. The PS5 is outperforming in other games too, such as Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Dart 5. Differences could be down to bugs, but it's unclear. Microsoft only allowed developers to submit games for the Xbox Series X certification in June after an update to its game developers kit. Developers had access to the PlayStation 5 dev kits farther in advance. See, so yeah, I don't know if there's really anything to worry about. Uh, I know generally, you know, in a console, when a new console comes out, the quality of performance is noticeably worse in the beginning than at the end, just because as people, as uh, developers learn how to develop for that platform, they just get better at, you know, getting the most out of it. Oh, so, right. Yeah. You know, uh, this, this may be something to worry about, but it could also not be. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, um, it's not anything to necessarily worry about. Well, yeah, not worry. I mean, obviously, right. it's, it's not that big of a difference. There's little yeah. things here and there, but. Yeah, I think, I think the reason we're not seeing as good of performance on the Xbox is because they haven't had as much time to optimize for the Xbox Series X. As we saw, they could only start submitting in June, where like they could submit for. They had much more time to develop uh, for the PlayStation Five. Yeah. So they've had more time to do the optimization on that. Also, I know an issue with the Xbox platform as far as development is, like the Series X and the Series S are fundamentally two different consoles like the series s has lower specs than the series x Mm -hmm. so if you're going to make a game for the xbox you essentially have to make two more two versions of that game one to run on the x and one to run the s so Mm -hmm. you know the ps5 you know they have the digital edition but the digital edition is the same as far as like specs to the drive edition i don't know that they have to necessarily make two versions of the game i mean on pc for example it's like there's well, not two separate versions, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. Like, two yeah. optimized levels of, right. so it can run yeah. on both things. Yeah, because uh, with PCs, there's, like, one version of The Witcher 3, you know? Yeah. Yet, it runs on PCs with all sorts of different configurations, different GPUs and whatnot. Yeah. 
But yeah, they do have to focus on two different consoles uh, configurations rather than one. That's true. Yeah. So uh, RetroArch available on Xbox Series S and X is making emulation possible. Microsoft doesn't allow game emulators in its store, but they do offer an official method to turn on developer mode on current generation consoles, including the latest consoles. A recent video shared by Modern Vintage Gamer on YouTube confirms RetroArch can be siloed on the Xbox Series S and X. The emulation performance is said to be excellent. You do, however, have to pay at least $19 for a Microsoft developer account in order to install RetroArch. You also have to do a factory reset if you ever want to get out of developer mode. Yeah, so, I mean, that's uh, fun for people wanting to play retro games. Um, but, you know, I just feel like I can do that on my Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I Much guess. cheaper. <laughs> I mean, if you don't have a Raspberry Pi and you happen to have it, I mean, obviously you wouldn't get an Xbox Series X just for emulation. No, you wouldn't. But if you happen to have it and you want to play some Super Nintendo or something, hey, now you have a way to do it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just... Uh, be aware that if you put it in developer mode, you can uh, mess something up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you're going to mess around with your console like that, just be aware. You could, yeah. uh, you know, void your warranty, all, all types of stuff. So. Oh, yeah. So uh, the graphics API Vulkan uh, now has official ray tracing support. The open source contender to Microsoft's DirectX 12 graphics API has added ray tracing support. Vulkan is favored by developers for its superior performance and its hardware agnostic nature. But Vulkan has been without ray tracing until now. Kronos, that's the nickname of the developer behind Vulkan, has released the tech that is necessary for developers to integrate ray tracing features into Vulkan. Kronos says it's a significant milestone since it's the industry's first open cross-vendor and cross-platform standard for ray tracing accelerations. Previously, you could only harness ray tracing features through NVIDIA's RTX GPUs and DX12 Ultimate. Um, so this is going to really help out the AMD GPUs as well. Uh, we know that the AMD GPUs are supposed to have, or the newest ones, are supposed to be capable of ray tracing. Okay. And um, AMD has been uh, working a lot with the Vulkan API as well. They've helped out with the development and whatnot. Okay. Um, so this is really exciting, getting a ray tracing across the board with the Vulkan API. So it looks like ray tracing is just kind of becoming like the new industry standard. So Oh, yeah. Um, ray tracing, I mean, it's kind of a game changer. NVIDIA knew it would be, though it took off a little slowly when they uh, introduced it in their cards. Yeah. Well, it seems to be uh, picking up steam now. Oh, yes. All right, so a copy of Super Mario Brothers 3 sells for $156,000. Someone bought the game at auction. It uh, was a sealed copy, and it's now the most expensive game ever sold, according to The Verge. It took the record away from Super Mario Brothers, snapped up in July for $114,000. Bidding for Super Mario Brothers 3 started at $62,500, and 20 bidders were trying to get their hands on it. Why is this copy so valuable, you may ask? It's a rare box design variant. 
the word brothers is normally on the right, but on this one, it is on the left of the box and it covers part of Mario's glove. It is the earliest version of the game in the game's production history. It was an, it is it was an excellent condition with a WADA 9.2 A plus rating for the quality of the box and the seal. A copy of Pokemon Red with the WADA 9.8 A++ rating also sold for $84,000, making it the most expensive Pokemon game sold at auction. And, you know, I'm thinking about this. I'm wondering, did uh, my copy of Super Mario Bros. 3's box yeah. have it on the right or left? Hmm. I mean, I don't have the box anymore. It's been I mean, thrown in the garbage. I mean, the game came ago. out like 30 years ago. So. I know, yeah. We threw that box in the garbage 30, 30 years ago or however long. That's like... I don't remember, and I wish I kept it. I remember with the box. <laughs> I don't remember getting the game. I remember I owned it. I just remember... Yeah. I remember a period of time before I owned Super Mario Bros. 3 and a period of time after, so yeah. I couldn't even tell you. Of course, uh, my, my goal when I was... Uh, eight or nine year old kid wasn't collecting it was just playing the games yeah even though like how you supposed to know like oh this is gonna be one of the most influential video games ever and yeah. this is one crazy design flaw yeah. that could make uh, you a hundred thousand dollars in 30 years yeah yeah i i just know i just knew it was an awesome looking game and it looked like it was fun to play. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you can go backwards for the first time, so that was awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, no, you can go backwards in Super Mario Bros. 2 as well. I see about that. That's, yeah. not, that's not even a real Mario game. Yeah. We, we, we all know oh, that. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, I think <laughs> I think those who really pay attention to uh, retro video gaming especially know that it's actually a modified version of Doki Doki Panic. That's the name of the game. Yeah. The, the real Super Mario Brothers 2 is what we know here as uh, the Lost Levels. The Lost Levels here in America, yes. Yeah, those were hard, man. I remember oh. playing that in elementary school. Yeah, they are hard. And I have some people tell me they're not actually hard. I'm like... I mean, they were hard when I played them back in when I was a kid. I they're like, still hard to me. Oh, they are? At <laughs> least, in, in my opinion, they're still hard. I mean, I should check them out again. Because <laughs> I know you can play Mario All-Stars on the Switch. So. I've heard some people try to claim that they're not actually hard. I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess for some people it is, some people it isn't. Uh, I guess I'm one of those uh, challenged people that, that find it difficult. It's okay, someday. Maybe yeah. in the next 40 years you'll figure out how to play it. Yeah, maybe. And time keeps on slipping into the future. We're transcending space and time in the space and science news. So, scientists speed up the diamond-making process, and now it can be done at room temperature. A team of researchers led by the Australian National University and the RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia, said Wednesday they've created two types of diamonds at room temperature by using high-pressure equivalent to 640 elephants balancing on the tip of a ballet shoe. The scientists said that they were able to create two types of structurally distinct diamonds, the kind similar to that in jewelry, and another type called Lonsdalite, which is found naturally at the site of meteorite impacts and is harder than most diamonds. Synthetic diamonds are nothing new. They've already been created in labs since 1940, but researchers were excited to see this could be done at room temperature, especially with the lion's diamond, which can cut through ultra-solid materials on mining sites. Yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy doing at room temperature now. 
Well, I guess this is good news for all the ladies out there. You know, diamonds yeah. are a woman's best friend, so mm-hmm. now your best friend can be made at room temperature. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, scientists are killing cancer cells in mice. A group of scientists have found a more elegant chemotherapy, which can accurately target cancerous cells. This is a first in the battle against cancer. They successfully killed cancer cells while leaving healthy ones around it intact using a technique that relies on DNA editing tools. It's already been used in mice and could be used on humans within the next one or two years. Professor Dan Peer, a cancer expert from Israel's Tel Aviv University, has said there are, quote, no side effects, end quote. And they believe that treating a cancer cell this way will mean that it never becomes active again. Well, this is pretty exciting. Uh, uh, innovative new cancer treatment that hopefully doesn't poison your body. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was saying I think it seems pretty cool. They can use DNA editing to, I guess, target specifically cancerous cells using this new method. So, yeah. Yeah, pretty great stuff. Yeah, that's exciting. It's like... Uh, it could be one day that you get cancer, no problem. They can just take care of that uh, easily, and you live a good long life and not have to worry about it coming back. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think that's one of the things I've heard. I heard somewhere one time, I think it was like on some science TV show. They're saying the problem with, like, I guess become like an immortal is eventually you just get cancer. Yeah, <laughs> eventually, statistically. Something's going to go wrong with your genetics and you're just going to get cancer at some point in time. So yeah. uh, I guess if we have this, we'll be one step closer to uh, being immortal. Yeah. How about let's uh, take another step. You're, you've got the next one. Yeah. So uh, human aging is being reversed. The process of aging has been biologically reversed for the first time by giving oxygen therapy to humans in a pressurized chamber. Scientists in Israel show that they could turn back the clock in two key areas of the body believed to be responsible for frailty and ill health that normally comes with growing older. As we age, the protective caps at the end of our chromosomes, called telomeres, shorten, and it causes DNA to become damaged and cells to stop replicating. At the same time, zombie senescent cells build up in the body, preventing regeneration. Increasing telomere length and getting rid of the senescent cells is the goal of many anti-aging studies, and drugs are also being developed to target those areas. The new study shows that giving pure oxygen to older people while in a hyperbaric chamber increased the length of their telomeres by 20%. This has never been achieved before. Scientists say the growth might mean the trial participants now have telomeres as long as they had 25 years earlier. The therapy also reduced senescent cells by up to 37%, and new healthy cells are able to regrow. Studies in animals show that removing senescent cells extends remaining life by more than one-third. Yeah, that's pretty exciting news. Uh, you know, feeling younger, pro- I don't know how much they look younger. Yeah, I'm sure it's not like a magic trick, but I mean, as long as you feel younger, know, that's what's really yeah. important. I mean, obviously, you know, damage has already been done to, like, your joints and your face and all that kind all of right. stuff, but... As long as your heart keeps ticking, why not, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, maybe some of the new cells that are being regenerated might help out the joints over time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, like I'm 35, you're 40. You know, mm-hmm. we wouldn't. I'm sure there's stuff we could do back in when we were 18 or that yeah. we can't do now. 
So yeah, it'd be nice to, I guess, turn back the clock in that way where you feel like you have more energy and more virile. Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, live footage showing Meteor breaking up over Tasmania was uh, filmed. The C-S-I-R-O, maybe it's pronounced Cesaro, I don't know. I think it's Zero. Zero? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The Zero research vessel investigator captured an extremely bright meteor which crossed the sky in front of the ship before breaking up over the ocean. The crew of the vessel said the meteor was bright green. It was spotted by the bridge crew who immediately reported it to the science staff on the ship. The meteor had been captured perfectly by the ship's onboard live stream camera. Quote, what we saw on reviewing the live stream footage astounded us. The size and brightness of the meteor was incredible, end quote, said John Hooper, Zero Investigative Voyage Manager. Quote, the meteor crosses the sky directly in front of the ship, and then it breaks up. It was amazing to watch, and the footage, we were very fortunate that we captured it all on the ship live stream. End quote. <laughs> so a bright green meteor over Tasmania. I guess uh, Superman should be careful, right? Yeah. It could be kryptonite. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that... No, no, it's not kryptonite. But, you know, that's a really cool uh, sight for sure. Yeah, I mean, I bet that was crazy to see. You're just chilling up there and then you see a giant meteor just explode in front of you. It'd yeah. probably be pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, so astronomers have discovered a fossil galaxy buried within the Milky Way. Uh, working with data from the Sloan Digital Sky Survey's Apache Point Observatory Galactic Evolution Experiment, or Apogee, scientists have discovered a fossil galaxy which is hidden in the depths of our own galaxy. The results were published in monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society and might change how we understand how the Milky Way grew into what it is today. The fossil galaxy may have collided with the Milky Way 10 billion years ago in our galaxy's infancy, Astronomers have named it Heracles after the ancient Greek hero who received the gift of immortality when the Milky Way was created. Yeah, that's uh, interesting stuff there. Um, yeah, so we keep finding uh, out more and more about the origins of our galaxy and probably the universe over time. Exciting. Yeah, so I don't know, it'd be weird. What do you think would happen if like a galaxy collided with our galaxy? Like, do you um, think we would even notice? Well, I mean, it's probably happened a long, long, long time ago before from what we see. But, yeah, I, I don't know that we would notice here. Uh, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know galaxies have... Uh, I just feel like on the galactic scale, planets are almost like, you know, like yeah. atoms almost. like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, galaxies have collided before, so I mean, scientists have seen that. Yeah, but we don't yeah. know the effect it had on the, you know, supposed living beings on those galaxies. Right, so. yeah. Exactly, we don't. All right, well, that just about does it for today's uh, tech news and commentary. I've been Joey Cagle. And I've been Antonio Guerra. And we will catch you next time. Happy Halloween. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Happy uh, Black Friday. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>